0: Welcome to the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner, joined this week again, if you were listening last week, by Dr. Russell T. Fuller online at RussellT.Fuller.com. I encourage you to visit him there and to visit me at HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. And of course, visit the radio station you're listening to at WFMD.com. Uh, and if you're listening live on the radio right now, thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. And I appreciate if you're listening to the podcast as well. And I understand if you share and like and give positive reviews on your podcast platforms it helps the algorithm i have never once before in my life promoted that but i hear other people doing all the time so i'm going to start to try to remember to do that on occasion if you are listening last week just to recap dr fuller is uh, he's been a seminary professor for now over a quarter century coming up on close to 30 years at this point he was given the background of some more than creep it was all, it began to feel maybe the way he was describing the story anyway it began to feel to me like a dead sprint towards liberalism <laughs> at a a very prominent southern baptist convention seminary and he had a moment of decision, and he gave us all that background leading up to that moment. He kind of began to make it clear what his decision was in that moment, but he didn't completely finish. So he's in a room with all these muckety-mucks, people that can destroy his career in the room, and he's got a couple of allies. One of them went first, which broke the ice a little bit, but now he's like, okay, the ice is unbroken. Somebody already said all the things that maybe needed to be said so I can just be quiet and live to fight another day, or I can realize that, no, this is the day to fight, and I need to throw in with my fellow theologically biblical <laughs> friends on all of this. And so now we're at that moment, you're in the meeting, and you do like a five-minute spiel, which apparently is available online, Somebody can try to find it if they want to see exactly what you said. But what, yeah, yeah.
1: but in, in in, have, in, in, the five-minute spiel, in, in other words, I have it in a manuscript form. Okay, gotcha. But, no, but in brief, because quite frank. I was too afraid to speak extemporaneously. I needed to read it because my language had to be precise. Because Were you shaking? Were you nervous? Oh, yeah. And, and I thought I knew for sure Moeller was going to come after me, very strong after this speech. So I knew my words had to be completely spot on. If I misspeak in any way, I was a hammer was coming down on me. And so I had to make sure every word I said
0: was precise and accurate and so forth. So, Has anybody ever challenged you on the merits of what you wrote and then therefore spoke? Your concern was they would take something, twist your words, make it mean something else. Has that happened? Or they're like, you know what, he did such an, a good job nailing this down. We don't like him but we can't tear down his argument. We're just going to maybe ignore his argument. Or how did that hold Let me, up?
1: I, I'll uh, okay. tell the story. I, I'll tell you the response. Okay. So anyway, I, I give the speech and as I'm speaking, it's, um, uh, you, you could, I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the room and it had a carpeted floor, by the way. So <laughs> you I mean, and I've looked up, I think one time I looked up from my notes People were looking at me, and their eyes seemed like saucers, you know. Did that throw you at all? Uh, No, but I I wouldn't look at Muller. I was too scared to look at him. And I was (laughs) was looking at my paper. One time I dipped up, said something, and then went right back down to it again. So at the very end, what I said was, and and I said a couple things. Let me tell you a couple things. First of all, uh, just to give you just a summary of what I said, I talked about how, in Matt Hall's own words, how he started to accept critical race theory. He said he was never taught that in seminaries and in Christian schools, and of course not. I mean, why should that be taught? And then he went to the University of Kentucky, and there, he said, for the first time, he really learned about race. And what he meant, of course, was critical race theory. And then he felt like he needed to connect the dots between what he was taught as a Christian and then this new philosophy, critical race, and he wanted to put those together. And what I said is, these things cannot be put together. One is divine revelation. It is God's word. The other is an anti-Christian worldview. It comes from really a form of Marxism. And so you you couldn't hardly find another philosophy more hostile to the Christian faith than where this comes from. And so um, I talked about that. Then Then I said, you know, a lot of people will say, He just takes the good things from critical race theory. And of course, what I said is, there
0: is nothing good in critical race theory. It's rotten to the core, is what I said. And anything that might accidentally seem good or you could try to force to be, is the kind of good that you would find right in the actual gospel, from the actual Bible, without all this other, you don't need it.
1: That's correct. Whatever kernel of truth might be in it, you didn't need critical race theory to get that kernel of truth that was readily available without it. So the thing is a Trojan horse, the little bit of a kernel. There's there's hardly a view that's just 100% wrong. Who's going to accept that? So, you try to make it look as truthful as you can,
0: and these false views, of course. Can you change the definitions of words? And if people get onto you, you shift really quick and say, oh, it has nothing to do with liberation theology, it has nothing to do with ethnic Gnosticism, it has nothing to do with neo Marxism, it has nothing to do with any of that sort of stuff. What are you talking about? When it has everything to do with all of those things. That's right. So, at the end of it, and again, I gave some of his
1: quotes. He was talking about how the. Uh, the Billy Graham, uh, ministry and all that was, was just full of, uh, um, white privilege. He was using all the buzzwords, you know, white
0: privilege, um, uh. Did he use intersectionality? Oh, well, no, well. He, That's a fun word to say, well, intersectionality. Yeah, I mean,
1: he, he believes in intersectionality. <laughs> uh, so again, you know, white privilege was used, uh, all, all the buzzwords, um, uh, uh it was, hegemony, right, things yes, like that maybe. he would use terms like that as well. And again, he would look back at, you know, the Billy Graham ministry as uh, marked by racism and, and so
0: forth. Was he advocating for
1: reparations too? You know, I didn't hear, I don't know if I ever
0: heard him uh, do that, but it would be consistent. With sure, it. yeah. So this is all part of what you shared in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: And so I said, look, you know, um, he uses all the uh, buzzwords of critical race theory. And then I said, it's not just that though, but he was using the concepts. So clearly he was teaching the stuff. There's, there's no denying that. And then at the very end, I I summed it up by saying, this will be the most important vote that I've taken in, you know, 21 years being at Southern seminary. This will tell us where we are theologically and where we are going. And then I, I finished. And then, um, Uh, As I said, um, Jim Warwick spoke up and again was arguing we should not promote him. After that, we had a series of people who of course, you know, was no, we need Matt Hall. Matt Hall is a good guy uh, and so we need to promote him. Uh, And then all of a sudden, as, as one guy who was in the room and who was watching Mueller the whole time I was speaking, he goes, I could tell he was becoming angrier and angrier as I spoke. And so when I got done, and after a few other people spoke, Moeller finally spoke. And the first thing he said was, Russell, you're an idiot. And he said it with great uh, emphasis like I just did. So the first thing he did is he name
0: called. And then he started to- Ad hominem is always a a sign of a successful argument.
1: (laughs) The first thing he did is call me an idiot. But then he started defending critical race theory. And he started saying there is white privilege. This is a problem. And again, he started defending all the tenets of critical race theory. And then he made this astounding statement. He goes, Marxism
0: has insights. And I'm one who... um, you know, I, I'm, I'm That's Resolution Nine from the Southern Baptist Convention oh, yeah. a few years ago. Oh, sure. It's, right, it's the exact same idea. It's mm-hmm. it's a useful tool because it provides insights. It's he's right. using he's using their language. He believes Marxism, and,
1: and you know he 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 said that again to me later, that Marxism has insights and Marxism any again any insights that it ever demonstrated was something that was insights that was not it's not unique to marxism okay so some of its criticisms of let's say capitalism or free markets you didn't need marxism to see some of the flaws of any you know capitalism or whatever and so really the only thing marxism i think has ever contributed is to the absolute misery of mankind so if you want to say it has a contribution it can turn this world into a living hell you can see the millions and millions of people that have died under Marxism, whether it's a Stalinist, whether it's a Mao, whether it's Paul Pot. Uh, it has been nothing but a blight and a curse.
0: And I know this runs the risk for someone who's hearing what you're saying, and I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, uh, of thinking, "Okay, this is politics. What does that do with a seminary and theology?" But it needs to be understood. This whole CRT, critical race theory kind of thing, this social justice sort of thing, it is a religion. It's a religious movement that's rooted in some sort of a neo-Marxism. It's a, it's a modern-day variant of ancient Gnosticism in many ways. It's religious. And so at a religious institution that would have the reputation of being a biblical, uh, tied to in a strict manner to what the Bible teaches and stands for, in that milieu, it'd be the same. Again, I want to make this point for anybody who might be a little bit confused by, well, these are political categories. Yes, they are because they're worldview categories, which affects politics and religion. But the religious aspect of it, it'd be like Matt Hall saying, you know, Buddhism has a lot of really good insights, and we should incorporate that into our teaching here at this Christian institution, or Hinduism does, or Zoroastrianism does, or Islam does. And somebody like Al Mohler, you would expect that. well, This is a Christian institution. It is not a Buddhist institution. That should be his instinct because this secular humanist thing that is what the Apostle Paul would call another gospel is not the gospel and he should have identified it as such because he's he's the main protector in his role in that institution and he failed and you're calling to account and so his response is to call you an idiot. At that point, you know the game's lost. Right, he calls you an idiot. Everything else he says after that is just window dressing because he's gunning for you, he doesn't like you anymore. Now, no. if he ever did, who knows, but he doesn't anymore. <laughs> no. And so you're thinking, what have I just done? Are you thinking I'm sunk or you're thinking? I-, I knew before I gave the speech that this would
1: probably be the end of my career there. I mean, to go after Matt Hall, who was like almost Moeller's son in the faith. I knew what I was doing. It wasn't like I hit a landmine and didn't know. Oh, I didn't know there was a landmine there. I was walking right into the cannon, basically. So it was a kamikaze mission. It it, it was a suicide (laughs) mission. It was. But yet I felt for the sake of the students and to be faithful to the Lord, I had to speak up. And again, he starts defending things like uh, systemic racism. What was the final vote? When it finally came to a vote, I was really surprised. Let me give you some context to the vote so you'll understand the voting at the Southern Seminary. Um, In all of my years that I voted on this committee, if you added up all the votes, it would probably be something like 250 to one. And now when I say that, it doesn't mean that one person didn't get elected because normally for one candidate, you get like 30 votes. And so if it's 30 versus one, you're in. You, matter of fact, you did a fine job. So in other words, most of the votes, it was unanimous. It was 100% promote the guy, promote the guy. And here's Matt
0: Hall. And remember, you know what you're voting for. He's going to be your boss. And therefore, with a lot of folks. So if you vote no and you swing and miss on that, your boss now doesn't like you.
1: You are a target now.
0: Just think about where you work, and you're going to vote a, a vote of no confidence in your boss. And it's not a secret vote.
1: Well, it, technically, it is a secret vote, but yet they
0: can figure out pretty quick uh, who votes. They really can. Wait, because you spent five minutes trashing <laughs> yeah, yeah. the whole idea of <laughs> promoting him. <laughs> and,
1: and, you know, when, when you work with people for uh, you know many many years, you get to know them a little bit, and so. He, they
0: really could figure out who was who was who pretty much. And is it simple majority wins the day, or is it a supermajority needed, or how does that work?
1: There's really not a so to Moeller, The way he would view it is, I've got to have enough votes to bring it to my trustee board that they will not. So the vote's them.
0: not even binding, really. It's just a recommendation, really. That Correct. that the the guy who's in charge gets to go to the trustees and say. He could inform them, hey, my guy's all voted no, but I still want you to push this through. He could do that.
1: He could do that. But he didn't a couple of years earlier when we went against one of his candidates, which surprised us that that happened. So anyway, the final vote, it was basically, uh, and again, I'm rounding the figures a little bit, one-third voted against him, which was amazing, that one-third. And again, they're voting against their their boss-to-be. And so it was a.
0: How many of those third are still there?
1: Uh, I would imagine one
0: person. So all but one. Gone. I think so. And you were one of the higher profile people to be gone. Yes. Right? Why is that? Why did you become such a? A target for notoriety was it because certain people like John Harris, who's been on the Faith Debate Show and uh, and has been a guest speaker at House of the Faith in Christ, uh, people kind of who listen to. Uh, my show and what I'm about. They know who he is. He interviewed you a few times and it yeah. was was that part of what launched you or was it that the attacks that were because they were circling the wagons maybe and coming after you and, and that gave you some notoriety? Or like, yeah, no, I had
1: no notoriety for what I did in the room other than the people in the room. I had notoriety with them obviously. Of course, they already knew me and so forth. So after I did this, um it would be another year before moeller would fire me and he would use the COVID thing because so with COVID, that gave him an excuse we've got to let go of some faculty and of course normally you would let go of the the, the, the latest faculty you hired you would get rid of them
0: and i'm not an expert on these things but i'm, I'm going off of my memory should be faulty but i feel like he let some people go you being one of them oh, yes. because of COVID. covid but didn't he then hire some other people almost like right after that pretty within,
1: short after within a few months he uh, I, i'm talking about probably four or five months he's hiring new faculty and that means so he, he could have hired you back oh,
0: sure. theoretically
1: theoretically and matter of fact it upset tom rush who's one of the trustees at the school and so technically one of moeller's bosses let's say that tom rush went public and, and said you know moeller is not being honest basically
0: is what he's saying and again you can see that video on youtube and that's if you're not Southern Baptist, I just need to clue you in, uh, listener, to the Faith Made Show. That's a big deal. Yes, it is. Southern Baptists do not publicly criticize Southern Baptists. No. It's sometimes called the 11th commandment, but it's almost treated as though it's the first commandment. Yes. I mean, you don't do it. So that's a big, big, big deal.
1: That's a It's a huge deal. And so Tom Rush was so infuriated when he hired people back within months that he went public and basically said— you know, the way he treated Russell Fuller, Jim Orick in particular was terribly wrong. And of course, what they wanted me to do, think, as listeners, I hope you'll think about this. In order for, let me just say, let me give you a little bit of background. After he fires me, and what they they want me to do is sign a non-disclosure agreement. So I would never discuss this, like with you, uh, you know, on this program. And Look, I can understand if I worked for a company uh, that, uh, let's say we made computer chips or something, and I knew proprietary information about how we produce it. I can understand you wanted me to sign a non disclosure. So there's certain context. Or if I had. These NDAs are just a version of cancel culture. There's cancel culture. And even if I worked at Southern in the sense that I had the donor list and you said you need to sign a statement, you will not share that donor list. That's fair. That's right. I have no business sharing their donor list if I had such a thing. But all I was was a seminary professor and to get me to be quiet. Now, at that time, I had fulfilled all my academic requirements for the year, but yet Mueller said, if you wanna get paid, if you want your insurance to go another three months, even though I've already, com- already completed everything required of me, uh, he, he said you'll need to sign this non-disclosure agreement to which as, as you can tell by my talking to you
0: today i did not sign that agreement so you lost those benefits for the yeah, three months I
1: lost benefits i lost money on that as well
0: and uh, but hey that, when you speak
1: out the
0: truth you, do you think that was him thinking you would sign it and he'd get it off scot-free on this ever becoming public knowledge or do you think he kind of knew you weren't going to sign it and it was a spiteful thing what do you think it's speculation might not be fair so you don't have to answer that i'm just it's a thought popped in my question was, popped in my head
1: there was four people in particular that i think he wanted that to be signed two of them did sign it jim Oreck and i did not sign it uh, i will say this and i don't think i've ever said this publicly before but the day they fired me they wanted me to sign that thing immediately and they said if we do that we'll help you get your unemployment going you know <laughs> and And uh, I looked over it very quickly, and I noticed, is this a a non-disclosure agreement? No. So what'd they call it? Oh, non-disparagement. But at first they denied it. Well, 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 it's a non-disparagement agreement. So at first they said no, and when I pressed them more, oh, it's a non-disparagement agreement, you know. But it's, an, it's still a form of non-disclosure. I, for the rest of my life, I could never criticize Southern Seminary, even the janitor of Southern Seminary.
0: Could you imagine if such a thing, a non-disparagement disclosure, whatever that's supposed to mean, were in effect when the uh, when the when the record of biblical history was recorded for us <laughs>
1: yeah, the prophets taking a non-disclosure
0: they can no longer tell to say the truth
1: so this is this in itself is a scandal you see that that they wanted me to uh, sign that uh, agreement and again i, I never had uh, but but really outside of the the very narrow circle of southern seminary and a little bit of evangelicalism but just in, in sort of an academic environment i, I was not that well known But then after this happened, uh, I'd already had some contact with John Harris. He and I had had some contact and so forth. So I called him up. I said, I think it's time for you and me to have an interview. And he was excited about it. And so it was in the midst of, again, the COVID thing. So we had to, it was a little more complicated. And
0: knowing John, I think he's particularly excited because he's the kind of guy that he's become a trusted voice in battling for biblical truth, and a lot of people will, I think, reach out to him with information so that he's like in the loop but they won't go on record. Correct. And so he's the kind of guy that he tries as much as possible to deal in primary sources, and if he can't source it, if he can't say, this is where I got the information, he won't run with it. And I th- it's gotta be frustrating for him because he knows so much more than we can even imagine that he knows, but he can't say anything. So I can imagine, you're actually gonna go on the record?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was thrilled because you know, he'd been saying these things, but yet no one was backing him up, so to speak. And so I said, John, I think it's time for you and I to have a, of a conversation. And so, and again, I was still, I haven't signed the agreement yet. And then when when his uh, interviews of mine, and you can see those on YouTube, of course, and when those things dropped, I think they finally knew, yeah, Fuller's not going to sign a statement. <laughs> They're not going to sign that non-disclosure agreement. Even if you did, it's kind of like too late, yeah. right? <laughs> so, no, I mean, technically, I guess I could have signed it, and of course, they would have said, you've got to get rid of those videos or
0: whatever. I, or you couldn't continue to talk about it, like, like, yeah. even if that was the only thing out there, and they could have figured out a way to pressure you to get rid of it. And if they didn't, that's the only thing out there. But you've been public in the meantime.
1: In the meantime, yeah, because I mean, look while I was a professor there I fought within the the confines of the institution. I tried to do things on the inside. Once they threw me to the outside I wasn't about to stop and so I wanted to and I was getting calls from parents at Southern Seminary. One called me you know not long after John's interviews broke and said I called you, and the parents said, and within 24 hours, I'm talking to you. I tried to call Al Mohler. He will not talk to me on the phone. And what she wanted to tell me is how uh, Jarvis Williams, one of the big pushers of critical race theory, how he destroyed the faith of his son. you know. Mm. And so the parents started calling me because they couldn't talk to Al Moeller. Moeller wouldn't talk to him about the problems
0: going on. So we're going to pause there because we've run out of time for this episode of, of, of Faith Debate. Next week, if there's any final details on this to flesh out, we can go there. But I think you, if you've listened to last week's show and this week's show, The Faith Debate, you've got an understanding of the dynamic that's in place. It's a highly charged situation. Somebody's career is on the line. He makes the hard decision. And now I want to next week transition into talking about the immediate aftermath but quickly try to then get back into what gave you the spine to do this, informative formative things. I don't think I've ever heard that story, and I'm curious to to venture into that area. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Faith Debate today. Thank you, uh, Dr. Russell T. Fuller. Find him online at russelltfuller.com. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of Household of Faith in Christ, online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. And, of course, the radio station is WFMD, online at wfmd.com. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right about now. God bless.